from Las Vegas. You're listening to Verve Church for people who don't like church. Thanks for tuning in. Well, Merry Christmas, Verb Church. My name is Joe. I'm the campus pastor of Elevate City Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm so grateful to get to spend Sunday with my friends at Verve. Um, I know Pastor Vince has already given me such a great introduction. And so enough about me. I want to jump right in. And I want to start by asking you a very important question. Are you ready for this? Are you excited that the Christmas season is finally here? Like how many of you truly believe that this really is the most wonderful time of the year? Like maybe you're tuning in right now and you're sitting next to your Christmas tree and you're sipping on some peppermint hot chocolate and you're already, you've already listened to Jingle Bell Rock this morning and you're just loving the season. But that's not always the case. Like I asked someone last week, I was just having casual conversation with someone and I just asked them like, hey, are you excited that the Christmas season is finally here? You excited for the Christmas season? And I got a response, y'all, that I wasn't ready for. This guy looks at me and he replies, ha! He starts to laugh out loud and he goes, absolutely not. I wish I could go into comatose and wake up with it being over. And I look at this guy and I was like, I gotta go. <laughs> like, that's crazy. See, the reality is that yes, many of us love the Christmas season, but at the same time, many of us dread the Christmas season. See, for so many, they just wanna get through the holidays. Have you ever said that before? Like, I'm just trying to get through the holidays. Like, once I get through the holidays, then I can, or then I will fill in the blank. One study I came across from 2019 said that two in five people say that they would rather stand in the line at the DMV than deal with the holiday stress. Is that you? It's crazy. In that same study, it said that 20% of people would rather sit in a long plane ride beside a crying baby than go through the stress of the holidays. Is this really the most wonderful time of the year? Or is it not what you'd always hoped that it would be. Like if we're honest, gift giving and getting isn't always what it's hyped up to be. Like yes, it's great to give gifts and it's great to get gifts, but do you ever just look at your bank account in January and say like, what just happened? Like did I unknowingly just take out a second mortgage to pay for Christmas? Whether it's the financial stress or the busyness or the relational tensions caused by trying to please everyone in your family or the anxiety that comes from trying to live up to the expectations placed on you by culture or tradition or by yourself or by your mom or just trying to produce the perfect holidays for the people that you love. It can be so hard to find hope in the midst of all of the hype of the holidays. See, I believe that all of this is why studies show that 88% of Americans say that the holiday season is the most stressful time of the year. But wait, like I thought this was supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. Is this really what Jesus had in mind when he came to be born? Like what if there was more to the Christmas story than meets the eye? What if Christmas wasn't about just something to make it through, but someone to be with? Today's message is all about God's pursuit of us through his plan to be with us. And we're going to look at one of Jesus's names that was prophesied about him long before he came as a baby and how that one name can change how we see all of life and how we see God. And so if you have your Bible, 
and I hope that you do, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to kick things off in verse 23. Matthew chapter 1, Matthew is in the beginning of the New Testament, and the first book of the New Testament, in verse 23, this is is referencing what the prophet Isaiah speaks, and it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now I need to preface this message by telling you that yes, this is the story of Christmas. This is the story of Christmas in four words, really. God is with us. Not God used to be, not God has been. No, God is with us. But this isn't just the story of Christmas. And so if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to do so. Go ahead and write at the top of your page, pursued by the presence of God. I know you're in a series right now called The Pursuit. And today we're going to look at the story of Christmas and and a story that Jesus shares about a son who ran away from his father and how you and I can have hope in knowing that we have been pursued by the presence of God. I believe that one of the reasons why Christmas time can can and should be filled with great joys because we're reminded of this truth that the God of the universe stepped down into creation and he came to the very earth he created to be with his people and that is what gives us great joy to know that God is near. It's why we sing songs of joy. It's why we gather together with families and we feast. It's why we put stars above our decorated trees. It's why we give gifts. gifts. It's why we do all of this. It's because of Jesus' birth. But the problem is that we seem to see Emmanuel as just a seasonal banner to hang over our mantles rather than an everyday message to joyfully embrace. Like when's the last spring or summer that you just got caught up in singing joy to the world, the Lord is near. Like what? I probably messed up those lyrics. (laughs) Or oh come, oh come Emmanuel. Like some of y'all are like, Joe, please stop singing right now. You cannot sing. Some of y'all are like, I've never heard that before. See, listen, the meaning of Christmas is not just for December It's a message that we need every single day. In every season of our lives, we need to be reminded of the reality that God has come to be with us. That Emmanuel is the story of Jesus stepping into your story to walk with you in and through every season and every journey that you face in this life. It's the story of God leaving heaven and coming to walk with his creation so that we would never have to walk alone. My friend, I need you to know that we need God to be with us. Like if we're honest, we all need help in this life. We need help battling darkness. We need help finding joy in struggles. We need help making decisions. Heck, most of us needed help deciding what to wear this morning. Like God, we don't just need God to be with us like in our mess. We need God to be with us just to go to Walmart. Like we need help. We need help finding purpose and meaning and satisfaction. We need help making sense of all that's happening around us. And whether you realize it or not, you need God because we're all sin-stained, selfish, and struggling. This world would love for you to believe that you can just do this thing called life on your own, that deep down in you is everything that you need to succeed. But can we just be honest that You've tried to do this on your own. I've tried to do this on my own. 
And every time it leaves me disappointed time and time again. You're not enough for yourself, but the good news of Jesus is that he is more than enough for you. And so you need the peace that he promises. You need the constant and unchanging love that he has to offer you. You need the power that his presence can give you. You need the freedom that knowing God is with you can bring to your anxious and worrying thoughts. You need God to be with you. Listen, God is the only constant in a world of chaos. His love is unending and does not grow weary. He promises to never leave you and never abandon you. And when everyone else will eventually let you down at some point, he will never fail you. His goodness knows no end. And even when it's hard to see it, like he's always working, he's always moving, even when it's hard to notice his nearness, the Christmas story is a reminder that he is close today, here, now, and forever. This name given to Jesus, Emmanuel, or in the Greek, it's Emmanuel. It appears only three times in the Bible. And the first time we hear of this is in Isaiah 7, verse 14. And it says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. See, 700 plus years before Jesus' birth, There's this prophet Isaiah that prophesied that a child would be born in the time of King Ahaz. And he would be given as a sign to the king that Judah would receive relief from attacks from Syria. And so side note, if you don't know much about the people of Israel or the story of the Old Testament, God's people, people of Israel or Judah right here, were always under attack by other nations. And no one could understand why they did the things that they did, why they had the land that they had, and everyone was jealous of them. And so all these other nations would try to capture and overflow, overthrow the people of Israel And they would try to take their land and and put them into slavery. And so in the middle of all these attacks that God's people are finding themselves in, in the middle of their fear, in the middle of their worry that God had somehow forgotten them, God speaks through the prophet Isaiah and he says, I will give you a sign to remind you that God has not left you. But this prophecy was also a messianic prophecy, which is a prophecy about the coming Messiah or Savior to come and save God's people and return them back to him. I need you to know today that just as those words were spoken to King Ahaz 2,800 years ago, those words are still echoing in our lives today. That in the middle of whatever battle you're facing, in the middle of whatever siege seems to be stealing your joy, in the middle of all of that, God is speaking to you and he's saying, I am with you. Like for the one who struggled just to get out of bed this morning because you're crippling anxiety, you are not alone. God has come to be with you. For the insecure and the one that feels inadequate, God has come to be with you. You are not alone. For the single and searching, no matter how long that season may seem to be, God has come to be with you. You are not alone. For the one who seems to have hit a wall in their career and their calling and trying to navigate what's next, God has come to be with you. For the addict who can't seem to find freedom, God has come to be with you. You are not alone. For the man that is living, trying to earn the approval of their father, but can never seem to feel that acceptance, God has come to be with you. You are not alone. For the mom that's trying to make sure that everyone gets all the gifts that they want this Christmas, and and you're even trying to pick out your own while working 40 hours a week, 
God sees you and he is with you. For the woman that is battling infertility, God has come to be with you. For the man, you're questioning your purpose or your value. For the one striving to succeed, for the anxious or depressed, for the doubter or the one asking questions, for the one experiencing the loss of a loved one or the pain of a broken heart, God has come to be with you. And I don't know what this year has looked like for you. Maybe you've seen this year as God is frustrated with me or God is far from me or God is forgetting me. But what I need you to know is that the Christmas story is that Christmas is this ultimate declaration that God has come to be with you. See, Christmas is an infant making an infinite statement that we will never have to walk alone. It's Jesus coming to us to walk with us through whatever we walk through. He's near. Psalm 34 verse 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 145, 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. See, for so many of us, we don't like to meditate on the nearness of God because when our lives get hectic and busy and challenging, we just try to fix everything ourselves. Like I do that all the time. We isolate or distract and we try to fill our minds with just Netflix garbage, hoping that somehow we'll be able to walk out alive on the other side and that we'll find ourselves and we'll say that we can handle this, we've got this. But isn't that just a big lie? Like we need God to be with us because we can't do this life alone. And so God steps down from heaven to pursue us. Let's look at John chapter 1. If you have your Bible again, pull back to John chapter 1. And he says this in verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt. If you have your Bible underlined, that word dwelt. Dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It says the Word was with God, but now the Word is with us. This is what the theologians call the incarnation, that Jesus would take on human form or that God would put on a skin suit and he would be born of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit to be with us. So we've got to understand that we were created to be with God, but we messed that up. We broke God's commands and we chose to try to do things on our own without God. See, the sad underlying current of the first half of the Bible is our inability to be with God because of ourselves, because of our sin. See, sin is anything that we think, say, or do that breaks God's commands and in turn breaks his heart. And the problem of sin is that it separates us from God, the God that created us, loves us, and wants to be with us. And so Jesus, he comes as the image of God to bring us back to God. Colossians 1.19, I love how it says, for in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. See, in the Old Testament, God would dwell with his people on the top of Mount Sinai or in the tabernacle or in their temple. And, and in all of this, God was somewhat contained. But in Jesus, all the fullness of God came to be with us because we were unable to be with him. Once you ask yourself, like, what other God would leave their throne to walk on the earth that they created? There is no God who ever has or ever will. There is no one like our God. See, Jesus became flesh, 
was tempted in every way that we are tempted, yet was sinless in every way. Jesus had to become flesh in order to die because a payment had to be made in order for our sins to be forgiven and for us to know God. See, Jesus is the greatest Christmas gift ever because he wrapped himself up in flesh and blood to be present with us. Emmanuel is God with us, the word with us, the creator with us, the king among us, the author of life right in front of us. And so Jesus takes on flesh and becomes a man so that he might die to be near his people. I love how in John 1, Remember, I asked you to underline that word dwell. It says that God came to dwell among us. This is this image of God pitching a tent with his people, that God would come to camp out with his creation. Like, have you ever been camping before? If you have, you know that the people that you go camping with, you leave the trip knowing them on a whole new level. Like, you become a lot closer. You draw near to each other. This is what God does with us. He came to be near us so that we can know him and have access to him. This is how God pursues us, by him coming to camp out with his creation. I love when I get home from work every afternoon, I love my kids' reactions to seeing me. I walk through the door and they go, dad, and they drop their toys or whatever they have and, and they run up to me to give me hugs. And, and when they come to give me a hug, I don't just let them run up and like hug my legs because that would be weird, like what kind of dad would do that? No, I get down on my knees so that I can hug them, so that I can play with them. Like when it's time to play in their playroom, what do I do? Like there's two chairs in the room, but I never sit in the chairs in their playroom because I wanna get on the carpet with them. I wanna get on my knees with my kids. I wanna sit with them so that I'm not just looking down on them, but I'm playing with them so I can feel their toys and their spaceship blocks and their multicolored chevron rug that's on the floor that's full of stains and crumbs and just nastiness. I want to get close enough to them for them to wipe their snotty nose on my shirt. I need to get close and to do that I have to come low. See, God is not afraid of the crumbs of your life. He's not bothered by the smell of your shame. He knows your filth. He knows your mess. And yet he comes to be close. See, the point of Christmas is proximity with God. That the God of the universe would leave his chair and get down into the muck and the mess of our everyday. Love how in the message, John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. What's incredible about Emmanuel is that God didn't just pick the pristine neighborhood with well-kept lawns and sidewalks and a nice HOA to move into. No, he moved into the rundown, dangerous, chain-link fence, low school rated, siren blaring, wrong side of the tracks kind of neighborhood to move into. This is the place and the season and the neighborhood that Jesus moved into, a place with a broken past that was the people of Israel, a grieving present and an uncertain future. But this is God with us in our mess. This is how God showed us his faithfulness with his people in the most intimate way that Jesus, Emmanuel, would move into the neighborhood. See, the beauty of the Christmas story is that God is stepping into the mess of your story. Like, have you ever wondered whether your life might just be a little too dirty or a little too messy or a little too sinful for God to move in? Like maybe you've thought that there's no way that God for, could forgive you for the things that you've done or the mistakes that you've made or the people that you've hurt. 
Listen, there's no neighborhood that is too far gone for the God of the universe to move into. The U-Haul is rolling up into your neighborhood and he needs you to know that there is no heart that is too broken that Jesus can't heal. And so no matter the pain of your past and the things that you've done or the things that have been done to you, Jesus has come to meet you where you are. And no matter the struggle of your today, no matter the heartache or heartbreak, Jesus has come to meet you where you are. And no matter your failures or your future, Jesus has come to meet you and he's never going to stop coming after you to meet you where you are. In Luke 15, Jesus tells a few stories to help us understand God's pursuit of us. And it's that God didn't just come once for us 2,000 years ago as a baby, but that he's still coming after our hearts today, no matter where we find ourselves. And my favorite story, and actually all of the Bible, is this story that Jesus tells of the prodigal son in Luke 15, starting in verse 11. And it's about this pursuit of the father. And starting in verse 11, this is what it says. Jesus is speaking. He says, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. And so that he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. See, the son tells his dad, essentially, I want you to be dead. Like, I wish you were dead. Like, I wish you didn't exist so that I can be rich, so that I can experience all of your blessing without any part of you. That's crazy. Like, but it sounds kind of familiar. Like, if you know the story of the Bible in the garden, in the very beginning, first man and woman, Adam and Eve, they wanted to be like God, experience everything of his, even if it cost them God. See, the prodigal son learned the hard way that you cannot enjoy the things that money can buy if you ignore the things that money can't buy, a loving father. And so in trying to distance himself from his father, he loses himself. He completely forgets who he was. His identity was completely robbed. God, have you ever seen The Lion King before? Remember, it's actually my favorite movie. And remember the story Simba, um, the prince his dad was the king Mufasa and he passes away and Simba then believes this lie that everyone was against him and that he was a murderer is what his uncle said you're a murderer and he ends up running away and he finds himself in the middle of a desert and then in a jungle with a fat pig and a muskrat eating worms under logs and singing a song called Hakuna Matata and all of this happens because he forgot who he was he believed this lie See, the prodigal son, he travels so far. He travels to this place known as the far country. And it's in this far country that he loses all that he has in reckless living and selfless pleasure and selfish pleasure. And and I'd be willing to bet that this place isn't actually as far off as it may seem. Like if we're honest, it sounds kind of similar to the places that people visit, especially in this city. 
It's more like a distant land that we travel to when we're trying to run from God. It's like a place that we become friends with selfishness and arrogance. And it's like a place that we let fear and failure lead the way for us. It's a place where shame and guilt seem to rule our lives. This is this far country, this distance and separated life. And it wasn't what this son was expecting. His resources ran out, his friends left him, a famine came, and the boy was forced to do for a stranger what he wouldn't do for his father, which was to go to work. What a bummer. Like he wanted his father to be dead so he wouldn't have to work. And then the boy, he finds himself in the far country where he lost himself completely. Listen, I need you to know that when God is pushed out of our lives, what we thought to be enjoyment ends up becoming enslavement. And when God is pushed out of our lives, the things that we thought would build us up only seem to build a wall between us and God. And that wall gets higher and higher. But then something changes for this son. He has this enlightening sort of experience. And while he's feeding some pigs, and he's actually not just feeding pigs, he's It says that he was with the pigs, he's eating with them in their filth, and he's so hungry, so lost, so jacked up. He is longing to just eat the food that the pigs have, which is trash, garbage, nothing. And in that moment, something awakened to him in verse 17. It says, but when he came to himself, I love that, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. So I don't know where you're at in your faith journey right now. I don't know whether or not you believe in God or have run from God or are running from God or maybe you're doubting, confused, skeptical or hurt. I need you to know that God sees you. That wherever you are, he sees you. That your heavenly father sees you and he is walking towards you, ready for you to receive the gift of his presence and the gift of his embrace. See, the son runs to the father as the father was already running toward him. Not only did the father run, which in that culture would have risked him shaming himself because running in public there for a man in that culture would have been wild. Like many scholars believe that wouldn't have been happening, but for this father to run after his son, this would communicate that he saw him coming as if it was down his driveway and the father came to meet his son even outside of the city to protect him from experiencing the shame that he would face by returning home to a place as a reckless boy who squandered his inheritance. See, in the Jewish culture of the day, there was this ceremony known as kazaza. And if a Jewish son lost his inheritance among the Gentiles, which was anyone who wasn't Jewish, and then returned home, the community would perform a ceremony called kazaza. They would take this large clay pot And they would throw it on the ground and they would break it at the feet of that son that squandered his inheritance or was reckless. And 
and they would break it at his feet and all of them would look at him and they would all yell at the same time, you are cut off from your people. And the community would totally reject him. They would turn their backs on him. The price for his mistakes in that culture would have been everything, cut off from your people, no friends, no family, nothing. Like, can you imagine what that would do for someone's heart or their identity? Could you imagine why so many sons never came home? Like, if that's what I have to look forward to, if there's going to be a kazaza, then I'm not coming home. I can't risk that. It'll hurt too much to be rejected. But what does the father do? He meets him outside of the city. Because he knew if his son had come into the city, he'd be completely cut off. But the father ran out to save the son from what he had run from. And the father risks shaming himself just to get his son back. The father shames himself to rescue his son from his very own shame. And isn't that the story of what God has come to do for us? That 2,000 years ago, the God of the universe would shame himself by being born in obscurity, born in poverty, in a feeding trough, as an infant baby. That he would walk the very earth that he, was cre- that he created, in the very dust and the dirt that he formed. That he would be despised and rejected, and that he would live a perfect life, but die a death on a Roman cross, a death that he didn't deserve. See, Jesus came to stand in my place and to stand in your place on a cross that he didn't deserve to pay for the sins that he didn't commit to take my shame and your shame and our shame so that we could stand before God as sons and daughters made right through the blood of Jesus that his body was broken so that we wouldn't have to be. He's not afraid of your mess He's not afraid of your sin or your failures, quite the opposite. He's seemingly drawn to it. That Jesus pursues us in our mess to make us clean. See, I think so oftentimes we have this picture of God that he wants us to clean up our lives before we come to him. But Emmanuel, the story of Christmas and this story of the prodigal son shows us a completely different picture. I love how the story continues on in verse 21, it says, And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer, to be, longer, no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead. But is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Wait a second. Is this some sort of Christmas celebration that's happening right here? Like the son right here, he gets from his father new swag and new bling and fresh J's for his feet. After he ran away, like what's happening? Like he ran away from his father and caused dishonor to his family. Like... He certainly shouldn't have been treated this way is what everyone else would have thought. But listen, the father was pursuing him and the father had been preparing for his son to return. And this is the pursuit that the father has for you and for me, that he's been making preparations and he's ready to celebrate and he's ready for his son or his daughter to run back home. See, Jesus didn't just come so that we could make it through the holidays or make it through this life and be okay. 
You were made for so much more than just the here and the now and the hustle of today. See, the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus comes to meet us in our mess to make us clean. And he's not trying to give us gifts in this life to make us feel good. No, he comes to give us a new heart and a new life. And he's come to transform us from the inside out. That's the real story of the hope of Christmas. That God would come to be with us so that we can know him and that we can never walk alone. That's the best news of all. God is with us. God has come to be with you. And so will you receive him? Let's pray. God. I'm so grateful for the story of Christmas. God, that you would step into the mess of our stories. God, to walk with us, to be with us in our sin and in our shame so that you can offer us new life by what you have done for us on the cross. God, we know that you are a good God. And God, we believe in the problem of sin that separates us from you, but we believe in the hope of Jesus that he came to make a way for us to know you, God. And God, we believe that you are calling us to respond to the message of this story. I just want to give a moment right now for anyone, maybe you're watching, you're tuning in right now, and you never made a decision to follow Jesus. I just want to give you an opportunity right now to respond to the message of the gospel. God's word says that anyone that confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised them from the dead, they will be saved. And so I just want to lead you in a prayer. If that's you and you're ready to receive Jesus today and maybe you're hearing this message for the first time or believe in this message for the first time, I want to lead you in a time of prayer. And you can just bow your head and close your eyes and pray this with me. Say, God, I need you. God, I know that you came for me. God, I know that you love me and I believe that you are for me. God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for me, to forgive me of my sin, to make a way for me to know you, God. And so forgive me now. Jesus, I believe that you died and Jesus, I believe that you rose from the death rose from the dead and you are calling me to new life. And so Jesus, I am trusting in you as savior and I'm trusting in you as the Lord of my life. I wanna walk with you all of my days and I receive your love right now. In Jesus' name, amen. God's word says that anyone who prays that prayer, that believes that Jesus died and that he rose for them and that he is the Lord of their life, you are given a new heart and a new life. And so let's celebrate. Let's walk in that. We want to partner with you in that and lead you into this relationship of walking with Jesus, of knowing Jesus, of following Jesus and leading others to do the same. God bless you. Thank you. Have a great day.